Coming up at the end of the show, I have a montage that I will play you of the highlights of President Trump's town hall this past Thursday. This was the most watched town hall in cable history, the highest number of viewers ever for an election town hall. Uh, it it, it um, got 4.2 million viewers for that hour between 6.30 and 7.30, averaged 4.2 million viewers. So that dominated the other two networks, MSNBC, CNN, and it literally eclipsed. MSNBC had 1.4 million viewers during that time slot. CNN had 1 million. So this had not only more than the two of those combined, it had nearly double CNN and MSNBC combined. So you could listen to the entire, I don't know, 44 minutes or so, or you could just listen to this like five-minute montage and get all the best parts, and we'll save you the trouble. The Trump campaign is suing CNN. Speaking of fake news, CNN, they filed a lawsuit of libel. Remember, the Trump campaign just sued the Washington Post recently for defamation. They are not letting the media, the fake news media, get away with publishing all this phony stuff. And this is unheard of. This does not happen where these presidential campaigns take on the media, as I'll explain in a moment. They're all too afraid to do it, unlike Trump. So what CNN reported, that the Trump campaign is actually looking into uh, getting help from Russia, that the Trump campaign is interested, has approached Russia uh, or is considering approaching Russia to get dirt on Trump's opponents to help them win the, ele- the the 2020 election. And they say it's a lie. Trump The Trump campaign says it's a total lie. They say that CNN was aware that it was a lie, but they specifically wanted to hurt the, the, the Trump campaign and mislead its own reason. And we've never heard about uh, CNN possibly doing that, possibly showing bias and reporting fake news. I mean, how many times does this have to happen? Why why, why does anybody take CNN even remotely seriously at this point? So Trump has this rampage against the media. They're also suing the Times and the Washington Post. And the reason no presidential campaign has ever uh, filed a lawsuit against these media companies for the most part, unless something really extreme happened, is because they're so terrified of the media reporting negative news about them. See, the media has overplayed their hand. There's a couple of factors to this. Number one, Trump does not care. He reaches out to people directly on Twitter. Twitter. He gets his message across. He knows how to get free publicity from the media. He does it magic, you know, magically, strategically, more than anyone I've ever seen. Where he'll have, he'll dominate the media. The media cannot stand him, but it'll be Trump, 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 Trump all the time. And number two, the media overplayed their hand because they've gotten so negative about Trump. That it's like what he's going to say, well, we shouldn't sue CNN because what if they report negative news about me? They're going to report negative news no matter what he does. He always says this. He could cure every disease. He could end world famine and they would blame him for obesity. Anything he does, 93% negativity. I don't know where that 7% positive is. I haven't seen it. So he figures, what do I need this for? Now, in the past, even when Bush got extremely negative coverage from the media, he was still terrified to take them on and to fight back and to badmouth them and to criticize them. He would just, you know, nod his head and uh, thank them and show his gratitude because these politicians are always so terrified. They're controlled by the media. And Trump figured out a way to circumvent it, and it drives the media haywire. It drives them crazy. That's why Jim Acosta has been so tough on Trump and why he basically filed a lawsuit to get his White House credentials back. See, Trump is the first president, politician in history that I've ever seen where he controls the media, not the other way around, and the media is spinning around in circles, which is pretty amazing. Now, the what's incredible is that you know Trump literally is the first one. You remember back in 2016, he waged war on Fox News. He boycotted a debate that was hosted by Fox News because he was upset with certain questions that they asked, and everybody thought that would be the end of his campaign, and he held some kind of other event. He got better ratings than that entire debate. 
Meanwhile, these other politicians are tiptoeing around. You know, a famous hockey team, the, the, the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, the Miracle on Ice team, that defeated the Soviet Union and Russia in 1980. And it was, a, it was a total upset because the Russians had all these professionals playing in their Olympics. That was their rule, but the U.S. did not. The U.S. was not allowed at the time to have any professional athletes, and yet they still managed to upset and defeat. It, it was like a stunning victory that totally unexpected, the underdog. Anyway, so they've actually now been attacked and vilified this team because of wearing Make America Great hats, MAGA hats, or Keep America Great, or whatever, wearing Trump hats, standing up there at a Trump rally in Las Vegas, and now they are getting attacked uh, on social media, and they're getting threatening, angry messages because they had the temerity, the nerve, to put on a Keep America Great hat at a Trump rally and stand there and pose for a picture with Trump. How egregious is this, that this is where we're at as a society, where what's considered a heroic team, however you feel, whatever your thoughts are about sports or the Olympics, you could think it's a total waste of time. That doesn't matter. These are people that were viewed as heroes, national heroes, and yet now they're they're deplorable, you know, because they actually are standing with the president of the United States, wow, that is real nerve, and wearing a hat that says, keep America great. So look at the messaging. Look at how twisted, how distorted Democrats have become that they are waging war against somebody who, who wears a hat that says, keep America great, and who stands next to the commander-in-chief, the chief executive, the top person in the country. You are, you're, you're like treated like worse than a criminal. You know. So again, this is the Miracle on Ice Olympic hockey team and they beat the Soviet Union. Then that that was in uh, the 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 pre gold medal game, and then they ended up winning a gold medal. Where they beat the the Soviets were the four time defending gold medalist. So I think they beat the Soviet Union team first. They didn't win the gold yet. That was like the semifinals, and then they won the gold. I don't know. I'm not an Olympics person myself, but they're getting angry messages on social media. So the captain of the team. He said, quote, if we knew we were going to anger this many people, we probably would not have put the hats on. That's the big question here. People say, you guys said it's not political. When you put hats on, you make it political. Standing with the president, we're not talking about a candidate. He is the president of the United States. When has that become making it political? You mean to tell me that when a team, a sporting team, stood with Barack Obama and took a picture with him, you mean to tell me that people say, well, you're politicizing your sport because they got congratulated by the president of the United States? But this is the where Trump derangement system uh, s- syndrome. I'm sorry. This is where it takes these people. It's lunacy. It is lunacy. Now, speaking of lunacy, by the way, Bernie Sanders. We know that he praised Fidel Castro. Yeah, you imagine if Trump praised the Nazis? Can you just imagine the kind of backlash. Well, what's the difference? So, but but and, and now you have Alan Gross. Alan Gross is a man who was in prison in Cuba. He was basically tortured in a Cuban prison for years. He was eventually released. It was a very difficult time. He, he, he went down to Cuba to hook people up with Internet and smartphones, basically these Cubans who live lives of total poverty and misery, thanks to Castro, who is Bernie Sand, one of Bernie Sanders' heroes. So, so Alan Gross went to Cuba. Cuba claims that he was working for the, for the CIA or something like that, but there is no evidence of that. But he was giving people Internet access and smartphones. He was helping these Cuban people, you know, literally down there on a sincere mission, as far as anybody can tell. And he was put in, thrown in jail for it, thanks to Fidel Castro. So Bernie Sanders visited him in jail. And Alan Gross says that Bernie Sanders actually said, I don't know why people are tough on Cuba. I don't know why people give Cuba such a hard time. And Alan Gross says, here I am sitting in a Cuban prison 
after having done nothing wrong, and then Bernie Sanders is saying he doesn't understand why people attack Cuba, why Cuba is is criticized. He says, forgetting Bernie Sanders feeling that way privately, but to actually tell it to a, an American prisoner sitting there in a Cuban prison under the Castro regime, maybe it was Raul at the time, Fidel Castro's brother. And now, so Bernie Sanders is denying it, of course. You know, he also denied you know, what he told Elizabeth Warren about how a woman couldn't be elected president. Maybe he was right, by the way, because pretty much there's no chance now of a woman being elected president in 2020 now that Warren has dropped out of the race. But what's what's amazing is, so Sanders denies it. I certainly believe Alan Gross, and I don't believe Bernie Sanders. And apparently Alan Gross, he actually said this in an interview years ago, but he didn't elaborate on it. But now he's back saying it again. And it's like we already know that Bernie Sanders praised Fidel Castro. Well, he taught people to read and write, ignoring the fact that, number one, it's not true because many of them could read and write. Number two, he only did it for his own personal propaganda to be able to spread the communist message around. And then he eventually became their dictator and gave them lives of total misery. Anyway, so Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, a caller pointed out, we told you that he only has a 25% ceiling. So he's got 25% of loyalists. They will, they're diehards. They'll support him no matter what, but then he can't really go above that. And a caller said, it's a contradiction. How do I keep saying that the Democrats are a socialist party and I'm proving it from the overwhelming support Bernie Sanders is getting? And at the same time, well, he only has a 25 percent ceiling. So obviously it's not a socialist party to which my response is, I, I, I think it's a no brainer. And I'm happy for somebody to disagree with this. If, if Sanders has 25 percent support and he calls himself a socialist, that means one in four Democrats are happy to support a socialist. Now, if he actually became the nominee... I guarantee you that that number would go up, but that's not even the point. Let's let's grant you that, that one in four Democrats call themselves a socialist. And by the way, the numbers, there are a lot of surveys, polls on this that show the numbers actually much higher. But the question is, how does that not define the party as a socialist party? Because what it's not like, well, 25% are socialists and all the rest are moderate slash conservative. Remember when Ocasio-Cortez said the Democrat Party is a centrist party. See, she called it centrist right, centrist conservative, right? How absurd, right? So once again, Ocasio-Cortez kind of missing the big picture, let's just say. But the point is, imagine if it was the other way around. Imagine if the Republican Party were 25% neo-Nazi. Just imagine if a candidate came along, David Duke or some other candidate, and he said, you know, I align with the neo-Nazis. I consider myself a white supremacist Republican, right? And 25% of the Republican Party supported that man. You mean to tell me that the the Republican Party would not be labeled a neo-Nazi party? They absolutely would be a skinhead party, and 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 it would be accurate. It would be accurate because it's not like, well, okay, you have 20 and they're like in a bubble and the rest, it's gradations, right? It's all these different levels. So if 25% are hardcore and they're willing to admit it and support it, there's another, I guarantee you that there's another 25 or 30 or 35% who are somewhere in the middle and not far from it. I mean, come on, Medicare for all. The people who criticize it, they say, you know, it's not going to be electable. We need to beat Trump, right? For the most part, that's what they're saying. Some of them say, yeah, but it's a great idea. We need socialized medicine, but, you know, this is a little too extreme. We need to temper it, whatever. But there's almost no Democrat who says, this is nuts. We're, we're going bankrupt, and Bernie Sanders wants to just pay for everything using federal government taxpayer dollars. That's what I'm waiting to hear. So this is absolutely a socialist party, in my opinion. Yes, there are rational Democrats. That doesn't change the fact of the direction that the party is heading. All right, now, there's been a little bit of a shakeup in the White House. It's not unexpected. Mick Mulvaney has been, I guess, pressured to resign by President Trump. Everybody knew this was coming. They waited until after impeachment, of course. But uh, Mark Meadows is going to take over. Number one, I'm very excited. Now, look, we... (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, let me finish my sentence. I'm very excited that Mark Meadows is going to be the chief of staff. I liked Mick Mulvaney a lot, so I'm not saying that. I'm not, let me be clear. I'm not saying I'm excited that Mulvaney is out. Whatever the reasons that went on there, we'll discuss. But I am excited because I think Mark Meadows is going to be great. Now, with that said, if I was a betting man, do I believe that Mark Meadows is going to be in the position one year from now, March 2021, assuming Trump is reelected? I think the odds are strongly, if you're in Las Vegas, and the betting odds are strongly against any Trump chief of staff lasting on the job for more than a year because it hasn't happened yet because this is number four. We're at number four, right? We had Reince Priebus and then John Kelly, and those didn't go very well. Then Mulvaney. I feel like Mulvaney's been there the longest, even though Mulvaney this entire time was the acting, and he was the head of office of the budget office until until now, I believe. He still remained in that position. Now he's going to become the special envoy to Ireland. So talk about a demotion. I mean, going from being the White House chief of staff special envoy to Ireland, like, okay, talk about the doghouse. And look, it's fine. He wants a government position. I feel bad for him. I, I Every time he ever spoke, interviewed, press conference, whatever, I always thought he did a great job, staunch defender of Trump. But that it was that press conference that really did him in where he basically was asked about the, the funding to Ukraine, and he just went on way, way, way too long. We played you all of those clips, and I don't think he said anything wrong, but here was the problem. He linked the Ukraine funding to the Biden investigation. He listed it as like one of many reasons. There was corruption that uh, the, Trump wanted Ukraine to crack down on, and there was the fact that these other European countries, they don't give a dime to Ukraine, but then they expect the United States to always foot the bill. So there were like so many things. Oh, and by the way, he threw in, yeah, Trump wanted them to investigate the Bidens or something like that. You can listen to the, to the clips. So he shouldn't have gone there, and it sounded like he was almost not prepared. It sounded like he just kind of did it off the cuff. And whether it was accurate or not, there are you you gave the media a soundbite they never should have had because here's why there there are an infinite number of reasons that Trump could be withholding funding from Ukraine and they're all right so there's corruption and they, you know he's worried about the 20 them meddling in the 2020 election and crowd strike well it's a conspiracy theory well i don't care it's not but even if it was Trump's allowed to be worried about that as the president he's worried about uh you know the fact that no other countries are funding oh and by the way Joe Biden is arguably the most corrupt vice president that we've had in recent history. He literally pressured a prosecutor with this massive conflict of interest with his own son who has no energy background. You, you know the deal. So Trump wants Ukraine to investigate and he's withholding funds to put political pressure. That is like more than justifiable. But it's like one in how many reasons you don't need to give the media that soundbite. There's nothing wrong with Trump doing that. But like by giving them that soundbite, you fed a lot of ammunition to the impeachment side of things. By the way, you know what never gets any attention? Tom Steyer. You know, Tom Steyer is basically the main reason that Trump was impeached. Look, and I know there were a lot of very radical Congress people, but Nancy Pelosi, the most pressure she got, Tom Steyer is a multi-billionaire and he supports many, many, many Democrat politicians. And he's been pressuring Pelosi since Trump took office to impeach Trump. And he was like the number one most vocal donor into the Democrat Party in favor of impeachment. And he gives, he like basically funds the party himself. So Tom Steyer, he tries to paint himself as the more moderate voice of reason in the Democrat Party. He's a radical. I mean, he's he is seething at the mouth at, at, at despite foaming at the mouth, seething, furious at Trump. He cannot stand Trump. And it's like, you know, and but he like comes across as being, you know, similar to Biden. A lot of these candidates, like when they're on the stage, they'll be more tempered. But like deep down, the thing that Trump get, gets accused of, of being like this nasty person, like these on the other side, they're so much worse than that. They just know how to like 
couch it in a way that's all courteous and friendly and polished. But don't be fooled by that stuff. Anyways, I'm off on a tangent. Anyway, so so Mark Meadows takes over from Mulvaney. And that's fine. You know, Trump, we always say he goes through these advisors like some people go through dental flaws. He just, for whatever reason. And by the way, he's able to get away with it because he's his own chief of staff. See, other presidents, uh, uh, other politicians, they are like a puppet. And it's like whatever their advisors tell them to do, that's what they do. And they're in lockstep and they take polls and focus groups and they do everything based on what the reaction will be as opposed to actually doing what they think they should do and what they really want to do because it's all about just getting elected. Trump is the exact opposite. I'm going to do what I want to do. If it's not popular, too bad. That's why he's taken strong liberal stances on criminal justice reform, on bump stocks and gun control and many other issues that where he where he actually bucked the typical conservative view because he says I do what I what what I believe is right and wrong and you know he's re- he's released many uh, drug criminals from prison because he felt that they deserved it which uh, is certainly not something you typically see from Republican presidents anyway so he doesn't need the chief of staff he needs a chief of staff to kind of keep him in check but he doesn't need it to run his presidency because he's the runner he does it himself now Mark Meadows could be great you know remember John Kelly John Kelly you know he he basically didn't allow Trump to have like phone conversations with a lot of the people he's very close with because John Kelly, he wanted to kind of, you know, uh, control Trump in the more typical way that chief of staffs do or chiefs of staff. And that didn't work very well at all. Then John Kelly went and he really criticized Trump publicly and, and, and then spoke out against him after he left office, which is very disgraceful because even if you had your own personal disagreements, the same thing we saw with John Bolton and, Gen- and, and General Mattis, Hello, where's your sense of loyalty? You know, and, and uh, the fact that, you know, as, as a Republican, you should be grateful to Trump for everything he's done for the party. A big part of the trigger why they changed to Mark Meadows now was because of the coronavirus, which we will discuss here in a moment, because Trump wanted to give off, the, wants to give off the image that everything is very much under control. And they felt that Mulvaney didn't project that image. And it's, the media is trying to portray the White House as being in disarray and, and, and not being in control of the whole coronavirus situation. So that was a big part of the timing right now. Mitt Romney says that he now supports a Senate probe into Burisma corruption and into Hunter Biden. And Mitt Romney even may vote to subpoena Burisma, members of the Burisma company, to testify before the Senate about Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, and 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 allegations of corruption when Biden pressured. Now remember, in Ukraine, they are investigating this. They are investigating whether Biden, uh, you know, was committed any crimes. Joe Biden, when he pressured them, when, when that was his real intent. I mean, hello, look at the conflict of interest. Even if we can't prove that's his intent, it doesn't matter. He should have no right, quit pro Joe, to be pressuring them to fire their prosecutor who's literally investigating. He said it himself, the prosecutor, that he believes that was what Biden was doing and he wants this investigated. But of course, the United States, if Trump investigates that, he gets impeached for it. It, it really is shocking. If you, if you like just told, if somebody didn't know anything about politics, you say, yeah, the president got impeached. Why? Because he wanted a foreign country to investigate whether the former vice president uh, was, was guilty of corruption. So we impeached him for that. Oh, and by the way, Ukraine the, one of the most corrupt countries on the planet. They were the ones that were pressured to fire their prosecutor, who was investigated by the president's son. They're they're actually conducting an investigation after they were basically forced to by the courts. But 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 the president of the United States got impeached. I mean, they they literally they would think, wow, this is the worst fiction I've ever I've ever seen in my life. No, it's actually the reality. Anyway, so Mitt Romney, talk about egregious. He votes to impeach Trump to throw Trump out of office. He votes to throw Trump out of office. 
because Trump investigated Biden and and Burisma, and now, and I know he was Trump was hinging funding on it. Okay, I get it. And now Mitt Romney is in favor of, and he's gotten an enormous amount of pressure, Mitt Romney, from his fellow Republicans to vote in favor of this subpoena. But here's what really irks me, is that Romney, he's worried about a political spectacle. He's worried this appears to be a political spectacle, the fact that Republicans are investigating Joe Biden. So so Romney is making a deal. He'll only vote in favor of this as long as they assure him it's going to be all privately done. It's going to be private testimony. It's not going to be leaked out. It's going to remain a private situation, not a public political spectacle. How dare he for two years, for two miserable years, miserable, uh, wonderful years, you know, amazing years, but miserable when you focus on the whole Russia collusion impeachment hoax, right? The Mueller probe. So for, for all those, for all that time, Mitt Romney and the rest of them, they watched the media totally abuse Trump literally fabricate a story that was debunked and 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 the the media lost a ton of credibility but the american people day in and day out watergate and nixon and all those comparisons and trump is corrupt and russia collusion and all the stories and it was it was all fake two years of a totally fake investigation so fake that when Mueller testified it was like the biggest humiliation embarrassment literally in, in congressional history for the Democrats, and they didn't even file, file any charges against Trump. They didn't impeach Trump on that. They needed some whistleblower to come along with another bogus story. And, 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 and it shows you the whole Ukraine thing was so bogus, and yet it was still the stronger, the stronger case for impeachment than the Mueller probe. And where was Romney then? We have to let this thing carry through to the finish. We have to let Mueller's team investigate, da-da-da, never defending Trump, never speaking out. You talk about a political spectacle, the ultimate political spectacle, despite having zero evidence, zero reason to believe, suspect Trump did anything wrong. And here you have much more evidence against Biden, real corruption. Romney votes to impeach Trump, votes to throw him out of office, and now he doesn't want a political spectacle. Where were you for the two years? Where they? And that was the president of the United States. Now this is a candidate, somebody that we actually should be vetting. Uh, and, and I understand that, you know, uh, Trump was a candidate too. That's not my point. My point is that it's much more of a disgrace when they're doing it to a sitting president than when they're doing it to somebody who was the VP and now is a regular civilian and he's running for president and we want to see, well, maybe we should vet the man, especially considering that there are so many, so many suspicious issues swirling around Biden and not to mention in his mental health, which has been really brought to the spotlight. I try, I try to avoid it because I just, it's too like gossipy for me and tabloidy for me. But I do have to be on, and I don't play you the clips because it's cringeworthy, some of these clips, but it does get to be very, very shaky. I mean, things like Super Thursday, you know, I, that kind of thing. Again, I don't, I don't want to harp on it because it's kind of sad, honestly. All right, so I do need to discuss the coronavirus because it's so relevant, you know, and because it's obviously dominating the headlines. And here's the disclaimer, something you already know. I am not a health professional. I'm not even remotely close to a health professional, despite the fact that I do try to stay up and keep up with the with the research as much as possible. Even the health experts, they themselves admit they are not sure about this. So there's just not enough data right now. So like the last thing I'm going to do is try to even suggest any kind of information that, that, that you should use practically for yourself. I, I just It's very important for us to at least have some perspective on this. So maybe I can help with that. But but again, the last thing I want to do is to get anybody more p- 
panicky than they should be. And at the same time, the last thing I want to do is make anybody, you know, be less cautious than they should be. So that's all my disclaimer. And I think you knew all that already. But here's the deal. There's just not enough data. And mainly because of China, almost all the cases in the on the planet still right now are from China, the vast, vast majority. And China, number one, they may not know themselves. And number two, even if they do know, they lie about it. So, And, and here's what I mean. We don't know the death rate. The death rate might be uh, half a percent. Now, one, one death is too many. Obviously, it's tragic. It's horrible. But when you look at the flu, you know, so the, the death rate of the coronavirus may be 0.5%, which is what, one in 200 people. It may be 2% or 3%, which is obviously two in, in, in 100 or three in 100. So that's a very big difference there in terms of the death rate. The, the, the flu death rate is about 0.1%. Now, we'll get back to the flu in a minute. But I, so China, they may have a 3% death rate right now, but they may not. Number one, they might have half a million cases and they're lying about it because they don't want to seem like they have a lot of cases. The problem is 3,000 deaths in 100,000 cases is a lot more than 3,000 deaths in 500,000 cases. So number one, they may not know because a lot of people might think they just have a cold or the flu or a virus and they may not get tested. Number two, even if China knows, they may be covering it up and lying. So we have simply have no idea what the death rate is and that's important because a 0.5% death rate, while any death is too much, is is much, much much less severe than a, than a two or three percent death rate. So that's number one we have to recognize. You know, number two, it, it seems that this is hitting certain people very, very badly. No question about that. But then many, many people seem to be okay and don't even have to be hospitalized for it. So there's a very big disparity in terms of the people that hits the people. So you got number one, we don't know the death rate. Number two, even when it is deadly, you know, is it? Oh, is, could it happen to anybody or is it only happening to certain people? Now, again, obviously, we want to avoid it happening to anybody, especially people who are the most susceptible to being harmed. Now, let's talk about the flu for a moment because, you know, we, we've told you many times that of the flu, let's say even this past flu season in the United States, there have been between 18,000 and 30,000 deaths. And a couple of callers have called up and they were shocked and they thought that, wow, this must be fake news. President Trump said this. Rabbi Glott said this. Uh, they, every year... In the United States, there's over 18,000 estimated deaths from the flu. They don't know the exact numbers. Now, many of those people are either elderly, sometimes it's children, a lot of times it's people with underlying health conditions. But yes, now, again, as I said, some listeners said, what? How could that be? And I think people are just uninformed. It's not their own fault, but some people don't realize, yes, 18,000, 20,000, 30,000 deaths of the flu every year in the United States. Now, when you consider that the death rate is 0.1%, so, you know, there's millions and millions of people who get the flu. So out of that number, 18, 20, 25,000, but a lot of people think that that can't be true because you don't hear about people dying from the flu. Exactly. The media doesn't even report it. We don't even hear about it. So if I told you, you know, if I said, you know, in the last six months, there have been 15,000 flu deaths, you would say, Wow, we gotta we gotta get rid of the we gotta we gotta quarantine. We have to isolate this flu. This fifteen thousand deaths you got out of your mind. Here there have been not as many deaths as a, as a result of this coronavirus. Obviously, the coronavirus has only begun to spread, so it might get worse before it gets better. But the point is, it's all about perspective. So the media is clearly blowing it out of proportion. Now, again, does that mean that it, it, the whole thing is overblown? I don't know. But the point is, it may be overblown. It's very 
possible that it's overblown. And that's what we need to realize. There have been other crises. There was the swine flu. There was Y2K. They're comparing it to that. The media is always giving us the worst case scenario. So very important to recognize that, that it's possible. It's possible. And that's what we hope, that in two months, we'll look back and we'll say, oh, now that we know the data, wow, it wasn't nearly as bad as everybody thought. Now, that may not be true. So we have to be cautious and be, be prepared for the worst. But there's a difference between preparing for the worst and assuming the worst. That's a very important difference. Be cautious, recognize it might be a worst case scenario, but also recognize that very often it's not the worst case scenario and recognize that the media might be blowing this way, way out of proportion. Now, as I said, in, it, there might be thousands of people walking around with this thing uh, and they don't get tested because they feel okay or they don't feel that bad. So we don't know. It could be a lot more cases than we know. Two aspects of the disease. Number one, it seems to hit people who have underlying conditions or elderly people very, very hard. Number two, it seems to be extremely contagious. So like if somebody has it and they don't know, they'll just give it to all sorts of other people. So that's the important part over here. We need to be as, caref as careful as possible. So I just want to yeah, have some perspective. And the other part of this is that Trump has handled this extremely well. He's not getting the credit and he is getting blamed. And it's outrageous because, uh, as I said, Trump does what's right. So right in the beginning, he decided to basically shut off almost all travel with China very, very early on. And they decided to send people to certain testing areas right in the beginning who were traveling here from China, who are American citizens. He was very tough. He was much more aggressive than people. And, and he actually got he, he got criticized. Oh, he's being so aggressive. He's doing it just for PR. And, uh, you know, he's hurting travel. He's hurting the economy, all sorts of criticisms. And now he's getting the opposite. Well, why didn't he do enough? Well, he did too much. And I don't mean that in a critical way, but you were saying he did too much because he was so aggressive. So Trump has done ev almost everything right. Look, nobody can be 100% perfect with this stuff. The Democrats have totally politicized this. Trump has done everything he could not to politicize it. He hasn't even attacked the Democrats. The Democrats, they actually held up the legislation, as we told you, because they wanted to target the vaccine companies and cut into their profits. You do not politicize the legislation. You fund the you fund the money you need to fund. You saw you passed the bill of eight point three billion, which they did eventually do, but not quickly enough. And Trump w restrained himself from criticizing, blasting the Democrats on that. Kamala Harris has now endorsed Joe Biden. Apparently, she joins the list of people who are jumping on the bandwagon now. Where was she a month ago? two months ago? And the answer is she was worried. She wanted to endorse whoever would eventually be the candidate. She either wants to be a running mate or part of the administration. And that's what they all do. They're all jumping on the bandwagon now. Uh, okay. And finally, you know, before we do Trump's town hall, there was one clip that I could not find where Trump pointed out this, and you can listen to the whole town hall in the audio section, but he had a meeting every year with uh, the heads of black colleges, what they, what they call historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs. And every year, the heads of these black colleges would come to him and ask him for funding. And he would have a meeting with them in the White House and he'd give them the funding. And he said, and this stuff never gets the publicity it should. And by the way, he donated, he always donates his salary to some charitable cause. He donated this quarter's salary to fight the coronavirus. Of course, the media is going to bury that. But uh, he, he had this meeting every year where the heads of these his, uh, black colleges would come and ask him for money. And he said, why do you come every year? Why can't we just give you the funding once? And they said, no, that's the way it works is we have to come back every year. We feel like beggars. So he said that what he, he said, well, I'm going to change that. And he actually said, and again, under Obama, they came every year and they felt like beggars. And Trump said, 
That's ridiculous. We're going to give you the money anyway. Everybody knows it. So why should you feel like beggars? Trump said, I missed them coming to the White House because I enjoyed meeting with them. But this way, they don't ever have to come back. They know the funding's there. They know it's secure. They don't have to feel like beggars. So again, something that Trump did, the white supremacist racist Trump did for the blacks that Obama does not do, and just that he does as a, just a personal thing that he just cares about people, but that's never going to get reported. All right, here is the are the highlights from last week's town hall. Unfortunately... Uh, insult politics have become a staple of this political environment. Yeah. Uh, Joe Biden has suggested to take you at, out back behind the gym and fight you. Uh, Maxine Waters has, uh, has a low IQ. Could there be a way that we can deliver your message without the controversial rhetoric and efforts to reunite this country during these divisive times? Well, I have to tell you, I think, really, I appreciate the question. I think the country is far more united than people think. And ultimately, what's uniting the country is success. And we're having more success than we've ever had. We got hit with a virus really three weeks ago, if you think about it, I guess. That's when we first started really to see, you know, some possible effects. But even despite that, the country, we are having the greatest year we had last year was the greatest year we've ever had economically. And I think the way we unite is really through success. But when they hit us, we have to hit back. I feel that. I mean, there's two ways of doing it, turning your cheek. But I wouldn't be sitting up here if I turned my cheek. If I said, OK, let them just keep hitting at me, and I won't do it, they're not interviewing me right now. They're interviewing somebody else. Maybe they won't even be doing that. Because if they don't get ratings, they don't interview anybody. That I've learned from <laughs> But you know what? Uh, you can't turn your cheek. I mean, we get hit. We get hit so hard, and we have a media that is, uh, you know, I say to a large extent, it's a part of the Democrat Party. It really is. It's terrible. It's unfair. I call it fake news. I've used that, and people are using that, I guess, all over the world right now, and that's the way it is. We have to fight back. If we don't fight back, you won't be a fan of mine very long. But I appreciate the question. Thank you. Justice Ginsburg. During the, just before a debate, during the election, as I was getting elected, she came out, she had to apologize. It was a terrible thing she said. She should have never been allowed to say it. But if they say something to me, I'm not allowed to say back. You had another justice say something that was somewhat derogatory. And all I did was respond. But I didn't respond like Schumer. Schumer, that was a physical thing, in my opinion. You know, he tried to say, oh, well, that has to do with the election. That had nothing to do with the election. The way he said, we're going to hit back like you've never seen before? That was a real intimidation. And the best you can say is they're trying to intimidate so that the judges vote, so the justices vote their way. That's no good either. But that was a physical, that was really, if, if a Republican did what Schumer did, they'd be in jail right now. By that time, they were already talking about impeachment. And they were going by a phony whistleblower uh, rendition of a call that didn't exist, just like Adam Schiff. He goes before Congress and he starts talking about eight quid pro quos and uh, don't call me, I'll call you. Well, that's a mob expression. Don't call me, I'll... And everybody's saying, that's a terrible call. He made it up. It was totally made up. And I said, oh, good. We'll sue him. We'll take him down. And then I find out he's got immunity because he made it in Congress. It should almost be the opposite. You should almost have to be more honest if you're in Congress. Do you think Biden is damaged? You think he's damaged? But I was all set to take on Bernie. I was ready. And then all of a sudden, I say, guess what? I went to the first lady who people love. They, I go into the first lady. 
And I said, I said, he just won Texas. He just won, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, so close. It was a whole different thing because of her. So now I'm ready for Bernie, and now all of a sudden I have a whole different, you know, it's a whole different deal, two very different people. I think in a certain way, Bernie would be tougher because he's got a base. It's a much smaller base than my base. I think a lot of my people are here because, and I did nothing to do that, but we have a lot of support in Pennsylvania, and I think we have a lot of support everywhere. Look at the rallies. Look at the rallies. But I was all set. I was all set for Bernie. I was ready to go. And then I say, you know, I don't think I'm running against... People come out, when I leave, I'll be shaking hands with people. They want to shake your hand. They want to say hello. They want to hug you. They want to kiss you. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You have to do that. If I went around, no, I don't shake hands. Can you imagine I'm going to be with a group of people and they like Trump and they come up, sir, thank you very much. I don't shake hands. <laughs> it's over. I don't care how nicely you say it. The bottom line is I shake anybody's hand now. I'm proud of it. They're people that I love. They're people that I want to take care of. Now, the concept of shaking hands since this, you know, you're hearing a lot of stuff about trying not to shake hands. It hasn't stopped me at all. But it is, it is a little bit of a problem. You said you had but to I got face over in two weeks. Well, I was kidding. <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to, I heard the other day you're not supposed to touch your face. So I went on camera and I said, listen, I haven't touched my face in weeks. Now, obviously, I'm kidding. I said, and I miss my face. And one of the networks said, he said he didn't touch his face. And they show pictures of me. So, so I don't know. These people. Have- 